of the Messiah through. For Mary, her response, though initially shocked, was one of humble faith and obedient willingness to bear the Messiah, the Son of God. While she couldn't figure out how God would accomplish this physically, she was willing to follow His plan for her. And to give Mary confidence that God was at work, the angel Gabriel gave Mary the sign that her cousin Elizabeth, Zachariah's wife, was six months pregnant because nothing is impossible with God. Now, if you were Mary, how would you respond in a moment like that? This was an amazing announcement. Keep in mind, Mary doesn't have a baby bump herself yet, but now she knows someone who does, Elizabeth, even though Elizabeth hadn't been broadcasting it. And so, to show her faith, to show that she believes what the angel Gabriel had, the message that he had brought to her from the Lord, she goes to see Elizabeth. Now remember, Gabriel did not tell Mary that she had to go. She chose to go, evidencing the faith, the trust that was in her heart. This would have been a journey that was at least 60 miles long, and it would have been a two- to three-day walk over rocky and hilly terrain. She would have had to go from the northern part of Israel near the Sea of Galilee down to the south where Jerusalem was. It shows her faith. It shows the excitement. There was expectation in the air. And we find these bursting out in joy as Mary arrives at the home of Zechariah and Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56, which is where we will focus our time this morning. Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. Let me read that for us. It says, Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, 
to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we can come before you this morning rejoicing in Christmas time, rejoicing that Jesus came and was born as a baby, as one of us. You didn't stay away. You didn't have to protect yourself. You came because you are the one who truly can redeem us. Thank you that we can rejoice in Jesus this morning. I ask for your blessing as we study your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as Mary greets Elizabeth here in Luke chapter 1, we see two worlds come together. Zechariah and Elizabeth were from the priestly line. They lived in the regions around Jerusalem. They probably had some financial means, and Zechariah had recently completed what would have been the pinnacle of his priestly service, offering incense in the temple. That was something that the priests only got to do probably once in their lifetime. Mary, on the other hand, was from the kingly line. She lived in the farm town of Nazareth, a place so inconsequential, it's not mentioned in the Old Testament. It's not mentioned by Jewish historians like Josephus or other writers. Now, it existed. They found archaeological evidence from that time period. But it gives you a sense of this is kind of a no place. Mary probably would not have had any wealth to speak of. And she had simply been going about her everyday life when the angel Gabriel appeared to her. Though they were from very different life situations, the coming Messiah brought them together, and their meeting helps us see four realities why Christmas brings joy. As Mary and Elizabeth come together, as Mary gives that greeting, we see these realities, and we see that Christmas brings joy first because it shows that God is not aloof. For hundreds of years before Luke chapter 1, the Jewish people had not heard from God, not directly. There were no visions, no angelic messengers, no prophets. It was a time of apparent silence from God. Have you ever had those type of times in your life where you wonder, God, what, what are you doing? Are, are you even involved in my life? I can't figure it out. But as we see here in Luke 1, it's not that God hadn't been active. You see, God had been preparing. It's kind of like the Christmas tree and Christmas morning, right? I don't know about you, but you, you see the tree, and maybe you've had it up for a week or two, and I don't know when you put the presents under the tree, but like for my kids, they start to ask, hey, where are the presents? What are we doing? You know, maybe you start to wonder. It's not that you haven't been doing anything. You've been shopping. You've been preparing. You've been wrapping. Maybe till like 2 a.m. the night before Christmas, okay? But you're preparing. You just haven't put the present there yet, right? That's what God had been doing in all this time. He had been preparing. And when he began to move in an active way, he was drawing closer to humanity than anyone could have imagined. 
he was becoming one of us. Did you catch the excitement in Luke 1, 41 through 45, when Mary shows up and greets Elizabeth, baby John in Elizabeth's womb heard Mary's voice, and he leaped. Now, the language that Luke uses here is that of, of sheep or young animals being frisky and energetic. This was like, yay, 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 woo! The Messiah is here. Elizabeth herself was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's an indicator that God is doing something special. The Holy Spirit filling someone at this time was an indication that they had a special role. God was using them for a special purpose. And Elizabeth, of course, is the one bearing the forerunner, the one who's going to announce the coming Messiah. And as Elizabeth, as this is all starting to take place, Elizabeth cries out with a loud voice. It wasn't like, well, hi, Mary. It's so wonderful to see you. No. She says, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, what she's identifying in this loud proclamation, it may have even been a song. Some commentators see a song structure in what Elizabeth was communicating here. So she might have said, blessed are you. Right? She might have been calling out, but it was joy. And she identifies Mary as blessed among women. Now, what she's identifying is that Mary holds a special role because God has chosen to bless her with it. Not because of Mary's specialness, but because God has chosen to use her in a special way. We see this emphasized back in Gabriel's message when he appeared and he gave the good news to Mary. Back in chapter 1 and verse 28, he says, Rejoice, highly favored one. Now, the wording that Gabriel uses is really it's saying, Rejoice, highly graced one. One who has received God's grace. What Gabriel is identifying is that Mary is not a dispenser of grace. She's a recipient of God's grace, just like you and I are. Mary herself is blessed. Elizabeth also identifies that Mary's coming baby is blessed. He too holds a special role. He's the Messiah, the Savior. But he's identified differently than Mary when you look at Gabriel's message to Mary. There are several little hints in what Gabriel tells Mary that her coming baby is deity. Gabriel identifies him as the Son of God. And he says that he will rule on David's throne forever. That's not something that a normal person could do. And Elizabeth herself identifies Mary's baby as my Lord. You see that in uh, verse 43. She's identifying that Jesus, the coming Messiah, is Lord. And Elizabeth and Mary are underneath him. And Elizabeth emphasizes all of this with joy. She draws our attention to it in verse 44. She, Elizabeth brings it up. Luke commented on it before that baby John leaped in her womb. She says in verse 44, the baby leaped in my womb, but now Elizabeth gives us the reason. For joy. 
This wasn't just some kick from baby John, like, ooh, hi, baby. He was doing somersaults, right? There's joy. There's excitement here. And Elizabeth identifies Mary's faith because she says that she has blessed the one who believed. Mary heard the message that God gave to her, and now it's being confirmed. Mary trusted God's message and responded to it. That gives us an opportunity to pause and ask ourselves, how do you respond to God's message of the gospel to you? God's loving but truthful message that you are a sinner and that your sin earns you judgment from God. But God loves you. And that's why Jesus came. He was born as a baby. He lived a sinless human life. And then he died on the cross, not for his sins, but for your sins and mine. And that if you will put your faith and trust in what he did on the cross and ask for forgiveness of sins, he will give it. That's the message of the gospel. How do you respond to that? You respond in faith? Accepting it, trusting it? Do you respond with skepticism, doubt, or rejection? Mary responded to God's message in faith. I trust you'll respond to God's message of the gospel the same way. But envision Luke chapter 1 here. Family gathering, loud greetings, excited babies, jubilant songs, and exuberant joy. All because Jesus is coming. God himself is not standing back, aloof from us and our struggles. He is coming to stand next to us and rescue us from the sin that separates us from him. That's Christmas. It shows us that God is not aloof. But there's a second reality that we see here, is that Christmas shows us that God cares for the average person. We see Mary begin to respond in verses 46 through 50. Notice what she says, "'My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant.'" For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. Now you may recognize this section section of Scripture as the Magnificat. That's the title that we give it from Mary's first word uh, from the Latin translation of the Bible, the Latin Vulgate, Mary says, Magnificat anamea mea dominum, my soul magnifies the Lord. This is Mary's joyous response to meeting Elizabeth and seeing confirmation of God's message to her. And she is filled with joy. What does she say? My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Why? Where does this come from? Well, God notices her. You see what she says in verse 48? For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. 
Now, the idea here of regarded, it's not just like, yeah, I think I saw Mary a couple weeks ago, kind of at the edge of the crowd. We came past, you know. That's not it. <laughs> the idea is that God sees her. He knows her personally. He notices what's going on in her life. He's paying attention to it, even though she is one of lowly estate, just an average person, nothing unique about her that would raise her to the focus of someone in power or influence. But she will be called blessed because of what God is doing through her and her trust in Him. And folks, that's an encouragement for us. Because let me encourage you, God notices you too. It's not that, yeah, I think I saw them. I kind of knew something was going on in their life. I'm not really sure. No. God notices you. He knows who you are. He knows what you're struggling with, what your joys are. Just like he did Mary. And Mary shows us that he cares about us. He cares for her. What does she say? Verse 49, he who is mighty, the mighty one is doing great things for the self-proclaimed nobody. Why? Holy is his name. His nature, his character is holiness. Now, what she's identifying there for us is this. A lot of times we think of holiness as primarily sinlessness or never having sinned, which is part of it. But holiness is really the idea of being set apart, being completely different. And Mary identifies that God operates differently than we do. He looks for character, abilities, inabilities that we would pass over. Because he loves us and he wants to use each one of us. Because his character is mercy. That's what she identifies in verse 50. His mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. God's mercy isn't meager. It's not just enough to kind of get you by or get you past the next problem that you have. His mercy is far-reaching and boundless. That's what she says. It's from generation to generation. It's a torrent that goes on and on. God doesn't get fed up with you. We grieve him through our choices at times, but he never gets to the point and said, that's it, last time, done with you. He is a God of bountiful mercy. And he extends more mercy because he wants you to be part of his family. He wants to use you. Mary's joy here comes because she is seeing God's loving character actively at work in her life. She knew it wasn't because of how special she was. It was because of how merciful God is. And that mercy extends to everyone who seeks after him. God cares for the average person. There's a third reality that we see here. Christmas shows us that God restores a corrupt world system. Notice what Mary says in verses 51 through 53. God has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. 
He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. You know, when you look around at our world today, you can quickly start to become hopelessly depressed, can't you? Evil seems everywhere. So much seems messed up. Those with power abuse those who don't have power. Those with wealth manipulate and use those who are poor. Pride and arrogance seem to be promoted as virtues. This is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the world that God designed. At times, as you look around, you might even wonder, can God really do anything about this? It looks so bad. Mary knew that he could. Don't forget, this godly young woman lived in a nation oppressed by the Roman government with a people who were impacted by the culture, that godless Roman culture that valued and practiced pride and arrogance, abusing others. Humility, mercy, those were weaknesses to the Roman culture. But where, where does Mary get this confidence that this is not the way God operates, that God is one who is different? Well, Mary gives us a little insight into that because in verses 51 through 55, she changes the tense of the verbs that she uses. She changes to what's called the aorist tense. And what that does, we don't really see it in the English, but what that does is it places, it kind of changes the focus from when God does something to what He is doing. Less of an emphasis on the time, and this is how God generally works. This is His character. And Mary is identifying that God is one who scatters the proud, the pridefully arrogant He's one who, in that arrogance, when they use their wealth, when they use their, their influence wrongly, he will reverse that. Where does she get this confidence? Well, don't forget the context. It's the coming Savior. It's Jesus, the one who changes our hearts first. You see, God works to bring down the prideful, power-hungry, and selfish, not by first destroying them, but by transforming them in Jesus. Now, He will judge sin. Jesus will come one day on the white horse and subjugate those prideful, arrogant ones. But God first wants to transform their heart through Jesus Christ if they will let Him. God works to lift the downtrodden, the overlooked and marginalized, not by first giving them power or position, but by giving them a family in Jesus, by giving them a place of value 
and a relationship with him so he can use them. God's goal for you is not the American dream. His goal is humble, sacrificial, Christ-like character and action in whatever situation you find yourself. Whether you have power and wealth or whether you have none, God wants to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. Christmas brings us joy because it brings freedom from what a corrupt system, a system that has been twisted by sin, says that you should be or mocks that you'll never be. In Jesus, God delivers us from that. He restores a corrupt world system. There's a fourth reality here, and it's that Christmas shows us that God keeps His promises. Notice what Mary says in verses 54 and 55. God has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to His seed forever. Now Mary sticks with that same verb tense here, identifying that this is how God generally works. This is what He does. But now she focuses specifically on Israel and God's promises to them. God had promised Israel a land. He promised that they would be a blessing to the world, that they would have a special relationship with Him, that they would have a king who would rule forever, as well as several other promises. And Mary recognized that God was being true to His character and keeping those promises in Jesus the coming Messiah. And that's an encouragement to us because that's God's character. And God will be true to His character toward you as well. He will keep His promises toward you. The promise to never turn away those who come to Him for salvation in John 6, 37. You say, Dave, you don't know the sins I've committed. You don't know what I've done. I don't think God would want me. God answers and says, yes, I do. Jesus Christ paid the punishment for your sin. Ask for forgiveness, trusting Him. I want you part of my family. I will not turn you away. God keeps the promise that nothing separates believers from His love. In Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. Whatever the darkness, whatever the pain, the struggle, God says, you may not feel it right now, but you're not separated from my love. God keeps the promise that as a believer, you will stand before Him completely transformed one day. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Say, Dave, the Christian life is a struggle. I try. I don't make it. I fail. I make selfish choices. I sin still. I don't know about this. And God says, my word to you, my promise to you is that you will be transformed to the image of Christ. You'll make it. Don't give up. And there are many, many more promises in his word to us.
in a world where so much is uncertain and unreliable. Jesus brings joy because He is proof that God keeps His promises. I don't know where you find yourself today. Loudly crying out in joy or just quietly crying in your own heart. Wherever you find yourself this morning, be encouraged that God wants to be with you and give you true joy. Not a feeling that comes from what you are currently experiencing, but lasting joy that comes because you know who God is, that He cares about you, and He wants to be an active part of your life. That might make you cry out and joy a song, or it might just give you that little island of respite in the midst of the turmoil that you're currently facing. As the prophet Isaiah foretold about Jesus some 700 years before Jesus' birth, he said, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. He's our hope. He's our joy. Because God didn't stand back and say, deal with it yourself. <laughs> he said, no. I'm going to come. I'm going to stand next to you. And I'm going to save you. And if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I will stand with you through this life and for eternity. Because that's who God is. So let me encourage you with this one thought this morning. Christmas brings lasting joy because Christmas brings Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus coming. Thank you for being not like us. If the roles were reversed, I probably would have turned away from this world and said, oh, <laughs> too much mess. But thank you that you are holy and that you are perfect in your mercy, in your grace, in your love, and in your justice too. Thank you that you became one of us to give us hope to make a way so that our sins could be forgiven and that no matter what we're facing, our hope, our joy is secure in Jesus. Thank you that we can rejoice in that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.